it's another lovely episode of the podcast um, thank you for tuning in one more time um, this is value nigeria with ajibola where we talk about um, investing and how to improve our practice in a bit to create wealth at the end of the day um, i hope our week has been productive um, one more time i have another guest on the show it's been a privilege bringing a variety of people to come onto the show to share their experience to share their knowledge and to help us get better um, day by day my guest today is mr ayoride akinloye and he's an equity research analyst uh, who presently plies his trade with united capital plc nigeria he comes with a lot of experience a lot of years on the job and he's worked with a good number of other firms, other of the you know top-rated firms in the industry. And I'm sure his experience and knowledge which he brings to the table this evening will be beneficial to everybody listening. Um, so, Mr. Ayorin, did you just want to just say hello to the listeners and just introduce yourself for everybody listening, sir? All right. Thank you very much, Val Nigeria. Thank you for um, inviting me on today's um, edition. Uh, my name is... Um, Ajibalala introduced is um, Akinloe Ayorinde. Um, in terms of my background, um, I, I basically studied management and accounting. So I've basically been in the financial you know, space for, for quite a while. I studied management and accounting from uh, Mobafemi Aulo University in Nigeria. Yeah? Um, I'm also um, a, an associate member of the Chatham Institute of Stockbrokers. And I'm also a member of um, the CFA Institute also. Um, in terms of my professional background, uh, I started my career, you know, in investment analysis and strategy, basically. So I started my career straight up from Afro-Invest West Africa. There, I was more focused on, on the retail end of the market because the, the, the business sort of had a more retail focus. Um, so I had a lot of focus on retail investors and helping them navigate investment strategy properly and then i was also involved in managing the firms um, in-house funds basically um and from there i moved to csl stockbrokers at csl stockbrokers i spent it because when i was an after investor i did a lot of equity and fixed income strategy and then also a bit of macroeconomic um touch to it also but um when i moved to csl I was, you know, I was more focused on the equity side of things, right? So I spent a lot of time doing equity investment analysis and strategy, although this time around it was for a different clientele base, right? It was more for foreign investors because CSL had um, a more foreign investor tilt to their, um, to their clientele base again. And um, I, I was at CSL for over two years. I was at Afro Invest for about a year and a half, almost two years to... And then I'm currently with United Capital. I currently am I'm sort of like the temporary team lead for United Capital Investment Research and Strategy. At this time around, not just equity, but equity, fixed income, macroeconomic analysis, um, you know, sometimes even alternative investment analysis, as the case may be. We do that more on a case-by-case basis. So, yeah, I have roughly, if you had all my years of experience, I've been in the market for about five years now. Um, doing analysis both on domestic equities, international equities market, and um, even fixed income instruments overall um, due to the size of the funds we manage at United Capital being one of the biggest 
um, fund managers um, in the country, really. So yes, I think that's basically my professional background um, and the academic background, everything that the audience may want to know about me. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, sir. Thank you very much. Um, f- from your professional background, it's very obvious that you're um, someone who pays quite a lot of attention to investment research, to the process of equity analysis, and I'm hoping we can glean from that knowledge I'm hoping we can, you know, major a lot on your process and what we can learn from that. Now, now going further this evening, um, I, I always find it an interesting conversation to ask my guests how their interest in the world of finance got started. So if you don't mind sharing with us, at what point did you make up your mind to go into finance and what was that journey like for you? Okay, um, well, my journey was a pretty interesting one. Um, I, I, my interest in finance actually started way back in, um, when I was moving to the university. I was about around my hundred level and after my first semester, there was this, um, I think there was this strike, this, um, ASU strike then, um, being a student of OEU, I mean, instead of the federal university, you typically get that, you know, at least once every, every year thereabouts. So there was this ASU strike. And we had to go back home after our, after our first semester exams for about six months. So during this break, my dad typically would buy newspapers, right? And there was this particular newspaper. I think they still do it today. I'm not sure because I don't read those newspapers anymore. But um, the nation newspaper, um, then they used to have a particular page where they have, um, you know, the closing prices of all the stocks that traded in the market, you know, the previous day. So I used to, once my dad buys a newspaper, I quickly would take that newspaper and then I started scrolling through all the companies. And it was pretty interesting, you know, looking at companies like Nestle. And then I was fascinated about, you know, just curious how this, how do they come about these share prices that they have for these stocks, right? But I never really could, could answer those questions because I didn't really understand how it, how it worked. But then, one of those days, as I got to continue reading and looking through those newspapers, there was this special column that the nation, they typically do, I think it was on a Friday, where they would write about companies that maybe announced results or corporate actions and things like that. And there will be some, you know, commentaries from analysts. I didn't really, I mean, it's now that I'm able to interpret that, you know, it was commentaries from analysts, but at that time, I didn't really understand what those things were. But, you know, I read them and then I was understanding, oh, okay, shares, company, they release, where they have revenue, profit, and things like that. But all those things were just like in shadows, right? I think they were just in shadows. I never really understood really what everything was about. Um, you know, at some point the strike was called off. We went back to school and then it was back to normal daily life. So that was my second semester in OAU. We finished that and immediately about a few weeks after we started, you know, 200 level. And then I, I attended a, a sort of, I don't, would I call it a conference or, or an event where SEO Africa came and they were coming to recruit for global banks like Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and the like. And that was where it really, really now caught my attention what investment banking was about, what investments, and then we used to call it um, security sales and trading, right? How it, how it really caught my attention and all. And I applied for the Goldman Sachs role then as a 200 level student, even though I didn't know anything about stock market and all, but as I applied, I tried to read more, try to understand how all this, how everything works. I started attending 
um, student finance club. I got to join student finance club at some point later on. So from there, I started to understand that, oh, so there's actually something that you can do. There are beyond this accounting, economics, and all these plain vanilla things. Like there's something called the stock market. There's something called investment banking. And that was where that was where the journey really, really started. That was where the interest started to develop. And fortunately for me, one of my lecturers was a was an associate member of Shaz Institute of Stockbrokers and introduced a couple of us to the program that we should try that we should try to distinguish ourselves. And as at that time, I was writing my ICANN exams. You know, being an accounting um, student, you immediately start writing ICANN for you to get qualified before you leave school. And right there and there, I abandoned my pursuit of um, ICANN, and then I took up Chartered Institute of Stockbrokers. And that was the beginning of my real journey to acquiring a certification in finance. I finished the Chartered of Stockbrokers program before I even graduated. So before I left school, before I wrote my final exam, I was already a Chartered Stockbroker. And so that and that was one of the things that really helped me to start my career early on in, in finance. So I think basically, don't let me just go too long to the story, but that was where my, my journey really started. You know, that reading of newspapers, from, you know, on the nation every day. From there, it became the SEO recruitment for Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Lynch. Don't ask me how that went <laughs> because I, I didn't get I didn't get the rule. I mean, 200 level, I was naive. I didn't really know how those things worked and all, but that was the beginning of the journey for me, really. And, um, you know, joining Student Finance Club, you know, I, I, that, in, in trying to get those roles, I understood the fact that I needed to join Student Finance Club. I understood the fact that I needed to read more. I needed to, you know, learn, you know, equity valuation, learn, you know, market of the, how does the finance, um, how does the financial economy work and things like that. And that was what really started the journey. And then I, I got introduced to the of stockbrokers and I applied for that exam. And basically that was I started. So right from my 200 level days in school, I already knew I was going to do an investment analysis and strategy. So for almost three years in uni, I was preparing myself for that life where I was studying accounting. Yes, but I knew that that was what I was going to do in the in the long run, right? And basically, that was how my journey started. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that very very personal journey. Um, it's it's amazing how the role mentorship plays even in in the lives of a lot of my guests that I get to have a chat with upon the show. Um, going deeper now into the core of our conversation. In your day job, you do a lot of research into companies, a lot of equity analysis, and I'm just hoping to learn from that. Is there any chance you could share your process, what your process is in researching any company and how you go about it, basically? Okay, so um, in terms of um, in terms of my research, right, so one thing I would say is the, the process is dynamic in terms of everybody would have different ways in which they try to analyze companies and all. And then it depends on if I'm analyzing a company for the first time or if I'm basically doing a follow-up analysis on the company. But I would imagine this is like, oh, I'm just getting to hear about this company and I want to do an analysis about that company for the very first time, right? So that's what I would imagine this is about. Um, so the first thing definitely I would do is, I mean, it's always the most important thing because for me, I want to be as, I want to be harmed with every mental information I can get in terms of when I'm thinking about this, because the reason why I'm analyzing and trying to understand the company is because I want to be able to make projections into the future of what 
the earning capacity and the revenue capacity of this company is going to be into the future. And because basically when you are buying a stock on the stock market, you are buying the future earnings of that company, right? And if you if you don't project properly and the company ends up disappointing in terms of performance, then you would likely make a loss on that investment, right? So for me, it is important first to understand the industry that companies operating. If I'm basically doing a first time analysis, you know, I think one of the things, one of the industries that has really caught attention right now is, um, you know, um, the um, I think we call them the genomics, all these genomics companies, basically that, um, you know, medical companies trying to, you know, um, I don't want to go into the all details of all that, right? But basically, because it was a medical, it was a medical, but medical sort of field where I didn't really have so much knowledge about how that space was. Yes, sometimes, you know. We have invested in pharmaceutical companies listed, you know, listed on the U.S. Stock, um, on the um, on the stock exchange in the U.S. and in the in the U.K. Sometimes for you know, in the U.K. for like our corporate clients, and we've had to do research into all those sides. But this was a totally new field entirely because they were trying to solve a problem that was totally different from you know something that you know, nobody else had done. So it was important for me to understand, you know, that problem why other companies have not been able to solve that problem and how the solution for these companies are pretty much effective, you know, in solving those problems. So what's the likelihood of getting approval for those medications and for those um, processes and all, right? So it's important for me to understand the industry, how that industry operates, you know, in terms of um, what's, the, what's, the, what, what's the strength of all the different players in the industry. So are there competitors? So let me just bring it to a simpler level, for example. Um, if um, we pick the cement industry, for example, in Nigeria, I think the cement industry in Nigeria is something is one that everybody can relate with, right? In, in the cement industry in Nigeria, we have maybe like three main players, you know, Dangote Cement, Boa Cement, Lafarge, you know, and we all know Dangote Cement is the biggest player, right? So I want to know wh- what's the strength of each player within that industry? Who co- is, is, is there an industry where the players control the price or is it the consumers that control the price? You know, so basically, I'm myself with knowledge around industry analysis. That's basically what I'm trying to say. That's the first thing I want to do. I want to understand the, the dynamics of that industry, how the industry operates, and how the different players, you know, co- operate within that industry. And in doing that, I like to do a lot of hard Google search. Some, sometimes you won't get that. Yes, sometimes some companies will give you information on how their industry works, but sometimes you need to really read. For example, you know, for the cement industry at times, you might even go for for someone like me who is like extremely detailed. I want to know how they even produce cement, like what are the raw materials. Um, you know, where do they source these raw materials from? Which one are FX dependent? Which one are sourced locally? You know, and things like that. Because it's, you know, those things will go into how I project for the company and all, right? So that's how in depth I can go at times in trying to understand the industry, the products, and all those things. So once I'm able to establish my knowledge on the industry. You know, what are the things you want to pick out so that it won't look like it's just too... You want to pick out, you know, um, who are the players within that industry and what's their respective market share. I want to pick out what's the strength of all the different players, right? Um, you know, it's more or less like a portal's, a portal's analysis of that industry, basically understanding the suppliers, what strengths do they have, you know, are, do they, are they able to, to push prices up whenever there's increased cost? You know, what's the pricing power of the company itself? You know, understanding other competitors, the consumers, and things like that. So those are those are key things I want to pick up from the industry. Is there any threat to the industry such that there's a new a new product that could come out and wipe out that industry entirely? 
right? So those are things I want to understand, right? And then from there, I now want to look at the company itself, what what countries, you know, that company operates in, for example. So do they operate, you know, the countries they operate, what's the macroeconomic conditions within those countries? So, for example, if a country is exposed to Russia right now, for example, maybe about 50% of your revenue is coming from Russia, then I'll be concerned about investing in that kind of company because you are likely going to see revenue pressures, you know, in the next couple of maybe quarters or years at least, you know. So those are, those, that's another thing I want to look at. I want to look at where you get most of your revenue from, who are your biggest customers, um, how does the politics of that country affect you and things like that. I also want to understand the management of the company. You know, it's very important to, to know who the management of the company, the CEO, the CFO, what's the board composition like, corporate governance structure of the company. So that's another thing I look at when I'm doing that company analysis. Then I can now go into the numbers of the company, right? I want to see how you have gone thus far. I want to see years in which there were deviations in your performance, what caused those deviations, you know, is, is there any net-term worry in terms of um, your profitability, in terms of your revenue. So those are things I want to look at when I begin to drill into your numbers. And a whole lot, you know, depending on the industry you're analyzing, it will depend on the kind of numbers you look at. For example, if I'm analyzing a bank, it will be different to when I'm analyzing an insurance company or when I'm analyzing a manufacturing company and things like that, or a pharmaceutical company and all, right? So it's going to be totally different. But I try to look at the numbers. A key focus for me will be on your revenue trend, your cost trend, and your profit trend. And then I also like to look at your balance sheet and then the underlying drivers, price and volume. Price and volume are very critical. For companies that, for example, they deal in volume, for example, with Tesla, I want to look at your product, Tesla's production growth over the, over the quarters. I want to look at the ability to control prices and things like that. So these are things I want to look out for. I want to look out for, um, I think the, the other thing I would look out for was I look at company analysis. I want to look at your valuation metrics. What's your historical trading levels? Where does the market consider your stock overvalued and undervalued? At what point do they consider your stock overvalued and what point do they consider it undervalued? What's the fair valuation? So you should be trading at 10 times price to earnings ratio, right? And maybe your average, maybe five year average trading level is like 10 times price to earnings, right? And you are currently trading at maybe six times price to earnings. Then I see that there's sort of an undervaluation. Again, is there a reason why you are undervalued? Maybe you've not performed well recently, right? So those are some of the things I look at, you know, to basically arrive at a conclusion if I'm going to be buying a company, if I'm going to invest in a company or not. I mean, the whole process is way broader than that, but I just try to compress everything into that. Then in terms of how do I do those analysis, the tools I use, for example, I think I use, um, I like to use, um, there are some tools I have access to, right? Because I'm a professional that retail investors may not have access to, right? But I will give you substitutes for those for those tools. So for example, I have access to a Bloomberg terminal, but a Bloomberg terminal is not easily accessible for everyone because it's very expensive to get a subscription. It's more on a corporate level, right? So, but an alternative I've discovered to Bloomberg terminal is invest, investing.com. Investing.com and Yahoo Finance are two fantastic tools you can use. Um, they also, the reason I mentioned those two is because they are free. There are some paid ones like TradingView, like um, Coffin Chat, um, and a couple of others, White Chat also, but those ones are paid. But if you're looking for free tools, you can use um, Investing.com, you can use Yahoo Finance. Even TradingView has a few free modules that you can also play around with, right? And um, I think those are tools. Then the financial statements and comp investor presentation of the company itself is also very important. So you are doing your analysis, then try to read reports from other, from stock brokerage houses on these companies because these guys that write these reports are experts 
you know, in, in those industries. And then they would also help you, you know, sort of understand how those companies are performing and what they think the performance of those companies will be in the future. But I think those are just, that's just an high level summary of everything. Um, just to put everything together as, as, um, as one, first, industry analysis. In industry analysis, you want to get out how the, the dynamics of the industry how it works, what's the product that they sell, what's the threat that a new product will come in, a new industry entirely will come in and sort of send that particular industry into extinction. Is there that probability? Um, what's the strength of, of buyers, of, of sellers, of competition within that industry? Are the companies there, you know, price control? Are they price price takers or are they price makers, basically? You know, I want to understand the, the corporate governance structure of the company itself when I'm doing company analysis. I want to understand, you know, how the company differentiates itself from its, um, its, um, its competitors. I want to understand their historical financial performance and, you know, my expectations going, going into the future based on underlying drivers of your performance. I want to understand, um, I want to understand your valuation metrics, your historical valuation metrics, you know, whereas markets usually consider you overvalued and undervalued. And, you know, based on my projections for you, is there any chance that completely markets will begin to price you at a higher level or at a lower level going forward? You know, so those are just some of those things that I look out for as a whole. Wow. I've had some guests on the show, but the clarity you have used in, you know, saying all these things, God bless you. You, you, you really made Thank my you. day this evening. Thank you very much, sir. Um, just to take things a little bit further, sir. Thank you very much for that response. Uh, you mentioned something in the course of your 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 answer to that earlier question, where you talked about the future being very unpredictable, making projections based based on you know numbers from the companies in the past and projecting into the future, which we know is uncertain. Now, how can retail investors safeguard themselves from this uncertainty in the future when making analysis? Okay, so I think the first thing is, um, I, I like a quote um, Warren Buffett you, you likes to use, right? And it's something that, you know, over time, I've got to, I, I've got to understand. You know, early on in my career, I was, you know, I always would always say that, oh, when you're making an investment, there's always a risk, there's always a risk, there's always a risk, right? But Warren Buffett would say, as an investor, it's when you're investing in something you don't know, that is when you say there's a risk, right? But when you have done your homework and all that, you, you, you may not necessarily say there's a risk. But the truth is, yeah, there's still risk because no matter how much you do all your analysis and everything, I mean, for a good example, nobody saw COVID-19 coming in 2020 and all the lockdowns that came with it, you know, and things like that. Even in some cases, um, it may not even be about COVID-19 or something. It may even be something that's company-specific, right? But the first thing I always say is when you're doing your analysis as much as possible, the last thing you want to do as um, as an investor is leaving a stone unturned. Once anything comes to your mind, make sure you check it out. You know, is it a piece of information regarding the product of that company? Um, a competitor suits them to court. For example, maybe they have an, an, a, an outstanding legal, an ongoing legal issue. You want to see what is going on on that court case and things like that. So, Make sure you leave no stone unturned in your analysis. Make sure you dot your, you cross your eyes and dot your teeth. You know, for one of the things that I've had to develop, you know, I've had to develop a tough skin 
particularly in dealing with um, in dealing with um, institutional investors in in in, 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 um, in my career because many a times these guys just want you to give them an answer straight up. You know, give me what stuff. I'll be like, okay, please just calm down. We need to ensure we do a thorough, proper analysis and due diligence before we are able to recommend either you should invest in this company or not. We would not give you an answer on the spot. Yes, because we cover a broad range of stocks, we can say, yes, this is what we think, this is what we think right now, but that's just an high-level um, review. We need to do in-depth analysis so that we don't, we are not making the wrong decision, right? But basically, the first thing is, in order to minimize your ch- that level of unpredictability and risk, make sure you don't leave any stone unturned in your research. Trust me, I've, my, 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 my accuracy level has improved significantly since I've adopted that, you know, I ensure that before I give out any recommendation, I write the reasons. So I normally keep um, what I call like an investor journal, you know, and in that journal, I typically would write to, uh, when, once, I, once I take a decision to either buy or sell a stock, after doing all my rough analysis in my, um, you know, A4 papers or my, my Excel sheets and all, you know, I'm still, as much as I use Excel sheets and all these tools, I also still like to write, right? I like to write when I'm thinking and crunching numbers and all. And even I have a board in the office sometimes. You try to write on the board when you are breaking down these numbers and all, you know. But like, I make sure once I document all those things, I now draft out what are the pros and then what are the cons. Now, in drafting out the pros and cons behind your decision to make an investment, right, you already know what your cons are and you know those risk factors you want to watch out for, right, such that if anything arises on those risk factors, you are not caught off that and immediately you know what to do, right? So I think that first thing is being, a, being extremely detailed in your process and having a, a, a sort of a list, I, I would say come up with a list of your pros and cons on why you are making an investment. And it's even helpful in periods when there's any volatility in the market. So when prices are declining as an investor, you know why you are investing in that stock. And maybe the price decline is not because the company released a bad result or there was a bad news on the company and all. Because you know why you bought the stock, you would not necessarily be perturbed with the fluctuations in the market, right? But I think that would help in terms of um, being able to monitor those risk factors behind your investment, knowing your pros and the cons. Now, the next thing is, as much as possible, you know, try to have a well-diversified portfolio. I think that's one thing that is extremely important. Um, one of the big mistakes I've noticed retail investors make is that, and I have tried to coach them to help them understand not to take those kind of risks. They will just come and tell you they want to buy just one stock, you know, sometimes, you know, because of, I wouldn't, sometimes they just believe that, oh, there's just this one stock I want to buy, and that's what I want to have in my portfolio, and I'm sure it's going to do well over the next six months, over the next 12 months, or you know, whatever is your investment horizon. But I always advise, as much as possible, have a diversified portfolio. You know, don't have exposure to just let some sectors will outperform some sectors and things like that. But again, there's always risk. You're not going to capture all the returns available in the market, but make sure you capture enough, structure your portfolio such that it is well diversified, and at the same time, it will help you achieve your investment objective. And I usually recommend, you know, as much as you may have, except you have very strong knowledge about the market and how to diversify your portfolio and all, I would advise you speak with a professional. You know, whatever brokerage firm you are using, one of the, one of the services they should render to you is the ability to speak with a professional who would guide you on how to best structure your portfolio. And if you don't have that kind of help, subscribe to platforms where 
you know, they, you know, you can read newsletters, you can watch YouTube videos on what people think about certain stocks and things like that. You know, you can join this kind of communities and all, right? You'll be able to have an idea, you know, how people are structuring portfolios going into a certain period. A good example is in this kind of period, I want to have metal producing companies, right? So companies that produce aluminum, iron, or copper and things like that. I want to have those kind of companies in my portfolio because prices of these items are high. I also have companies that produce crude oil in my portfolio at this point in time, right? So those are just examples of, you know, try to diversify your portfolio and spread your risk across um, different sectors. So I think that's one of the ways you can you can also navigate that unpredictable nature of, um, of investment. Then the last thing I would say is don't go all in. So don't, don't, um, don't invest your entire portfolio at once. Ensure you would be a bit of cash. So, for example, I always recommend 80%. So, you always have a target amount you want, the target size for your portfolio. So, for example, if you have a target size of, say, $1,000 for your portfolio, keep at least 20% of that target size in cash, such that if there's any sudden price decline in the market, you're able to take advantage of that sudden price decline to at least take some average in a situation whereby the decline is not as a result of the investment becoming a bad investment or something like that. So don't go all in. Try to always keep some cash. It's a mistake investors. Even sometimes I make that mistake, you know, because you see an opportunity, you just feel like, ah, I must invest all my money. I must maximize and make this opportunity to the highest. And then, you know, you go all in into the position. And then two days later, the stock loses 10% before the stock now starts to rebound higher again, right? So you want to hold some cash at some point in time in order for you to be able to have some cash to sort of take advantage of any unexpected price decline in the stock. So I think those are the four tools that I typically would, would recommend. Number one, make sure you leave no stone unturned in your analysis. Number two, put a list of pros and cons for every single investment decision you take so that you are able to monitor those cons because those cons will be the risk the risk factors for your for your um, investment and you need to watch any developments on those risk factors. Number three, have a well diversified portfolio. Number four, don't never go all in in never be never be fully invested in terms of your portfolio. At least always hold about ten to twenty percent of your portfolio in cash. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you very very much, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Um, if if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on the spot. You you've talked a, you've talked quite extensively about your process, and I'm 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 sold out. I, I don't doubt anything that you have said. But has there been any time in the past that, despite all your analysis, despite everything you've you know you've projected, things didn't pan out as you planned? Has there been times where you projected one thing? But um, the company ended up doing one thing. If you don't mind sharing an experience, if you have any of such. Um, yes, definitely. I mean, definitely such, such has happened, really. I mean, sometimes, you, I mean, you don't, as, as, um, as an investor, if, if any investor, analyst or strategist should tell you they got it all right, trust me, um, that, that's like, a, I, 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 I would strongly doubt, I would strongly doubt the honesty of, of what, the, the, the professional is saying, right? Because you, you tend to meet some. I mean, Warren Buffett has made wrong investments. Um, lots of investors make wrong decisions at times. Not necessarily because they didn't do the right process, but sometimes things happen and you, you, what you, what you predict is not what happens, right? Yeah. So I found myself in such situations. I think, I think I can give, um, one, one interesting example. Um, so early on in my, this, this was, this was like, 
my first year, my first year in the market. So a bit of inexperience played a role here, right? Um, in this in this particular story, I'm about to, to say that this was my first like one year in the industry when when this happened. And it is always because that was the first that was the first time I lost like like different sums of money in terms of investment. So it's always profound, and I took vital lessons from there. So this was what happened. The, the, the company involved in this case was a Nigerian company because when I started out investing, I started within the Nigerian market before I started investing in the U.S. market. And then my role now in United Capital requires me to also follow stocks in the U.K. and all because we have some HNIs and institutional investors who try to buy stocks in those countries, right? But I started out with the Nigerian market, and um, I wanted to invest in Lafarge. So there was a particular trading, there was a particular strategy I curated, you know, to be able to trade short-term reversals in a particular stock. So maybe a stock has been declining for a while, and then I'm trying to pick out a bottom and basically just trade a short-term reversal. So it was like a trading strategy, design, an investment strategy designed to sort of have a 2 to 10-day investment horizon, basically. And I'd already done all the analysis, you know, RSI, um, momentum indicator, everything and all that. This was more of technical analysis, not necessarily based on value investing and all, right? So this was more of like short-term trade reversals, which you know sometimes tend to be risky, right? But I'd already done all the analysis, and this was a strategy that worked for me on so many other positions, right? And when I did it, ticked all the boxes, you know, oversold everything, everything, and it was all fine. I was like, okay, I think this stock is prime to go in, and then I went in to the stock and then the following day the stock lost 10 percent the following day the stock lost another like about five or six percent i was like what was going on here only for me to discover that in my process of doing the analysis i forgot to consider that the company was going to release its q3 um financials the following day right and that is something that is extremely crucial whenever you're making investments i always advise that you, you, when you invest in a stock, as much as possible, when you have made decent returns, in fact, sometimes you might want to even sell before they announce their results because sometimes people tend to sell the news and buy the rumor in the market. That's what you typically get sometimes, except when it's a company that has an, it's a strong history of performance, right? But in this case of Lafarge, I forgot to, to look into the fact that, oh, the company was going to release its Q3 audited and its Q3 numbers. In fact, this was precisely this happened in October 20, October 20, 2018, is that 2017 or 2018? I can't remember now. I think it was 2017, October 2017. So I didn't consider that. And the company released the results. They booked an impairment on um, a particular transaction. And that impairment basically wiped out all the profits that they made for, from in the first half of the year and even in Q3, and they were in a lost position. And as a result, investors responded negatively and sold down the stock, right? So despite doing all the analysis, did tick the box on this strategy and all and all, I forgot to look into when the company was going to announce it. And that single stone, that, that's why I mentioned the fact that you have to ensure you double check every single thing, you know, possible. And as a result, you know, that, um, I made a loss on that particular investment, right? And but over that, that definitely taught me that vital lesson of ensuring that you leave no stone unturned. Um, there definitely will be a case where, you know, you will do, have even done all your possible analysis, like everything you've considered, everything possible, and somehow, somehow, the company just underperforms, 
your your um focus or your expectation. I think a good example, this this did not happen to me, but I think it happened to a lot of investors. Um it was Netflix. Um that was for their full year performance for last year, you know. Yeah, I think Netflix released their audited numbers sometime in February. I think late January, early February, thereabouts. And basically when I took a poll of like consensus estimates in terms of new subscribers and everything, a lot of um, analysts and investors were quite optimistic on Netflix, but I'd always struggled with um, with investing in the video streaming um, sector because there was a lot of competition around. There's a lot of new guys coming up, Ulu, um, Amazon Prime, you know, and all these guys coming up with new new pricing models such that um, companies, are, most of these on, online streaming guys were losing their pricing power and they were also losing cost of their, their rate of growth in subscriber base was not as impressive, right? So I've, I've visually, um, over the past like one year, I've been really skeptical about investing in um, online streaming um, stocks. So I never really, I just wanted to see what analysts were saying concerning Netflix because of um, some other investors who wanted information on Netflix. And, you know, a lot of optimism around um, the, the subscriber growth base and things like that. But fortunately, and this, this analysis were based on, you know, sound analysis. But when Netflix released their, their, their performance, their results, yes, they met revenue targets, they, they performed, they, they met revenue expectations of Wall Street, profit and all. But in terms of subscriber base, they didn't meet expectations and all that. And as a result, investors sold down the stock because it's not about what you, it's not about your revenue and profit in that case. It's about your subscriber base, which indicates the rate at which you'll be growing in the future. And investors saw that that growth rate was slowing and even performing below what they were expecting, right? As a result, they sold down that stock. So that's an example of where investors have even done all the analysis they could. But because of, you know, the company not achieving its subscriber um, target, uh, as a result, investors sold down the stock. So I think that's basically another example where you cross all your eyes. Uh, I mean, you dot all your eyes and you cross all your teeth. But that performance still comes out on that performance. So I think, yes, that's an example. All right, perfect. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, now, I, I am researching into the management of a company. I think that's a, an area that retail investors sort of struggle just because it's not um, numerical. They are, it's just a judgment many times that you have to make. This management, do they have the best interest of the investors at heart? Are they thinking about after the best of the company? Um, for you, how has your practice been? How do you just if you could just run us through your process of looking into company management and how you make that judgment decision on them. Okay, so not to, not to stretch um, the time any longer. I think the first thing I always do is to look at the prior, like how many years. So so okay, let me let me let me let me use an example to explain this. So for example, if I am um, if I'm analyzing the uh, management of a bank or a financial services company, for example, I want to see how many years of um, experience the CEO, the CFO, and those key decision makers have in financial services. You know, I don't, or maybe, let me let me even use a different one. So electric vehicle, for example, I don't want someone whose experience is in maybe um, cloud services and all, is now the CEO of an electric vehicle production company. I would be, I would be sort of worried, right? Why, why someone who's all the years of experience is in cloud services or maybe online streaming, and then suddenly the person is in, um, is in electric vehicle um, management, right? So I want to see your experience. So that that's one critical thing as as a retail investor you want to look out for. What as what 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 basically has been the experience of this particular 
um, of this management of management of the company. You know, what have they done in the past? How many years have they been operating within that industry? Then I also like to see stability, right? That's the second thing. I want to see stability in in um, in in within the management board. So I look at your historical board. How long have this management team been together? In a situation whereby you know companies management changes maybe every year, every two years, there's a lot of instability in that regard. If there's anywhere you don't want you don't want to be seeing any significant attrition, it's in the management staff. I don't want to see a company that is changing CEO every three years or every one year. You know, in fact, every three years is even too much in terms of changing CEOs. You know, you want someone who understands the vision of the company and who is basically working towards the vision of the company over a period of time, right? So um, I think stability is another thing you want to look out for. Um, the third thing I also want to look out for in management is by how much are they responsible to the board, right? I don't want to invest in a company in which the, manage, the, the, the CEO or some key management staff have a control over what the board says. So I want, to, I, want to, I, want, I want a company that has a very strong corporate governance structure such that the board has significant powers you know, to be able to, to, to control the activities of the, of the CEO and other management staff, you know, because it's very critical, you know, for, for management staff not to make reckless decisions, right? Then the other thing you also want to look at is, you, this, this time around, looking for this kind of information may be difficult, but it's something you have to try as much as possible to do. Um, what's, what's basically the, the CEO like? You know, what, what is like, what, what are those decisions? What are those key management decisions they are taking? What is approach to management? Maybe, for example, a company appoints a new CEO, right, from a different company and something like that. You want to see how has this CEO managed the previous companies where he has worked in? Oh, maybe he has not, maybe this is the first time he's been a CEO. What, what other roles has he occupied? What decisions has he taken? What, um, and how has those decisions affected the performance of the company he has managed? So I think those are the key things I like to look out for. I like to look out for your experience in the, in the, in the sector you're playing in. I like to look for stability within the management force. I like to look for, um, I like to look at the level of control the board of directors have over the management of the company. I like to look out for, you know, decisions that have been taken by those key uh, management staff, you know, in the past to help me understand what's the nature of this manager. You know, just like a private equity investor, many a times, sometimes, these private equity, private equity investors, just by the fact that you have a good business, they may not invest in your business because they don't trust the CEO, right? Whereas, they may see a business that may not, they, yes, the business is, is pretty decent, but it's not even as sound as another business that they see. But the fact that they believe so much in the CEO, they believe he'll be able to figure things out, he has that experience and that capacity to, to figure things out and be able to chart a cost of goods for the company. They would trust the CEO and invest in that company, right? So I think basically that's, that's the way I look at it, you know, when I'm looking at company management. So those are those four key things that I like to look out for. Experience, stability, level of control from the board, and then prior decisions that management has taken and how they have impacted the companies they have managed in the past. So those are those key things that I like to look out for. Superb. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, for retail investors who are listening to your to you speak, what simple changes should they implement in their investing practice that might lead to a lot of positive returns for them? Okay. So first thing, um, you have to be, because I think it's not, it's not, it's one habit I've noticed. A lot of retail investors they don't because. 
the so for so for example, right? Um, they may have a different profession entirely, right? But they are also investing in the market, but they invest based on what their friends tell them, what they see on the WhatsApp group or something that, you know, what's the hottest stock in the market for, you know, right now, you know. For example, when GameStop was rallying in 2020 and the short stocks and things like that, right? And then they just invest based on what is happening in the market. I like to say, as a retail investor, please try as much as possible to read about the companies you are investing in. Like, yes, it's not your full-time job, but as much as possible, try to read. In a case where you don't have enough time to read, speak with a certified professional. You know, try to speak with a certified professional. Be part of an investment community where you have experts that you can speak to, who can advise you, and you can, you know, who can be able to advise you on, on stocks, what is happening in the market, and things like that. Be as informed as possible. Don't just invest based on trends, based on what people are saying, because sometimes you don't know why they are investing in those things, and many a times you even end up coming um, at the at the peak of those of that kind of rally, and then when you are buying the stock, it's basically reversing lower and things like that. So as much as possible, please try to um, arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can about how investments work. You know, not necessarily becoming. I'm not saying you should begin to study for CFA or study for for a professional exam, but as much as possible, have basic understanding of how, you know, these companies work. You know, it's about revenue, it's about profit. I mean, there's nobody here that would say you're running a business and you don't want to understand, you know, how your revenue works, how your cost works, how your profit works, right? So understand these things and ensure you have, it's, ensure you either you read or you have experts that you can talk to who will be able to teach you and explain what is happening to you, what is happening to, you know, particular companies to you. So I, I think that's the first thing, be armed with as much information as possible on the companies you are invested in or you want to invest in. The second thing is, this, this is one trick that, that you know, it transformed. In fact, like, it, it, it probably, as, as small as it looks, it had the biggest impact on me. In, I mean, on my investment returns or on the output of my investment um, of my portfolio um, over the past like three years now since I started doing that. I think I started that 2019, thereabouts. It is maintaining an investment journal. Like, don't just take decisions on the random. When you decide to buy a stock, write the name of the stock. Why did I decide to invest in this stock? What are those pros? What are those things that you saw that made you invest in, those, in that stock? Write it down. What are the risks involved? You know, like, are there any possible negatives you know, that could make it a bad investment, you know. In such cases, obviously, you don't want it to be pronounced, right? But, you know, you re- you list what, what, what are the possible risk factors because it helps you because sometimes there might be volatility in the market where you invest in a stock, the price declines, and then as a result of that panic, you sell. And then suddenly later, it begins to reverse higher. So it's important for you to understand, for you to document your investment decision such that at the end, if it turns out fine or not, you are able to go back to evaluate, okay, I took this decision based on this. Did this turn out the way I expected? Yes. Oh, these pros were the ones that clicked. Revenue outperformed. This outperformed. This driver was the one that led to the increase in revenue. So this prediction was very much on track. So I can continue to sustain this strategy, things like that. Oh, did my expectation happen? No, it did not happen. Why did it not happen? What was I expecting that did not happen? Okay, this did not happen. This did not happen. But why did I miss this out? You know, how did I miss this particular? So, you know, by, you can only make those evaluations, those post-evaluations after 
you have made a documentation of your investment journal. So please maintain an investment journal. Write the stock you are investing in or the instrument you are investing in and why you are investing in those instruments. So I think that's one thing that will do a lot of magic really for you as a retail investor. Please maintain an investment journal. Trust me, it's something that will work. In, I've, I've, I've advised so many investors to do this and they've seen the results a lot in their portfolio. And, you know, in fact, it was one of my sort of role models that sort of recommended this on um, one of these platforms. In the end, what the, the impact is, it helps you know how to fine-tune your investment process and what things to consider when you are making those decisions to invest. So I think those are those two key things that I think you can do as a retail investor. They have it as much as possible information and please maintain an investment journal to document the reasons why you're investing in this stock and why you're not investing in this stock. Perfect, sir. Perfect, sir. Now, this this last question can sound a little bit funny, but I'm sure a lot of people would want to know this information. Now, um, one of the key things that a few people recommend, you know, as a one a criteria to look at when you're analyzing a company to buy is to assess the ownership, like the inside trading, like the insider ownership of the company. Um, for companies that have a very high level of insider ownership, then they recommend that the company may be on to doing good things. Now, looking at United Capital, it's amazing week on week, week on week. We keep getting insider like um, you know corporate announcements on the NGX that you know so so and so person increased their holding. So the accountant bought, the gateman bought, the cashier bought. <laughs> Everybody just keeps buying in United Capital. Now my assumption is like okay maybe Mr. Peter Shade just calls a town meeting and tells all the staff go out there and buy you know and everybody just goes charged up. Why is there so much insider buying at United Capital? What is going on? Well, um, again, I mean, you can see from from our performance over the past three over the past three years, they're about now. I think it's been it's been one that has um, blown the market away. I mean, I think as far back as um, twenty eighteen, I think United Capital used to pay roughly around forty kobo mm. or about thirty forty kobo in dividends. You know, about just like four years ago and just last year um, we announced the um, dividend payment of about one naira fifty kobo, even significantly higher than what um, some banks would, would pay, right? I think apart from about two or three banks, I think no other bank, you know, pays that high dividend, right? By on a per share basis. Um, and it's not necessarily that oh the company mandates everybody to maintain a particular ownership in the company. No, not at all. But as Insiders, as staff of the company, we can see the progress we are making. We can see the decisions we are taking. We can see the new markets we are breaking into. We can see the new strategies we are creating to help investors make more money. And in terms of making more money for them, you know, we make more money, you know, because you also have, you know, things like, you know, incentive fees, um, management fees, and things like that, basically, right? So, and like you said, once you see a lot of insider um, ownership in terms of increased buying, then that's almost a good indicator that that's like an indicator that the company is going to announce a very solid performance, right? When you see company, when you see insider sell-offs, you know, um, you are seeing, oh, this company, this thing, then so, 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 see a reduced position in company. Um, um, you know, the accountant sold um, 10% of ownership in the company and things like that. Then that may be an indicator that things may be about to turn out. So as you said, truly insider ownership is one strong indicator of what you can expect from the company, right? Um, 
But I think for United Capital, they, as, a, as a company, we are on to very, we're on a very strong growth trajectory. Um, as a business, if you look at um, during the investor presentation, we highlighted you know our strategic focus for the next three years and how we follow a three-year roadmap. And you know, last year was the end of one of the of the last three-year roadmap, and this year we are kickstarting another three-year roadmap in terms of our business expansion plan. And you know, we we have a vision to sort of make United Capital you know a household name within the African market for investment banking and investment management and business financial services financial services solutions. And trust me, in the next couple of months, you know, you'll be seeing new developments from the company and things like that. That's basically what has informed that strong interest. Because as an employer of United Capital, I can see these positive trends, right? And as a result of that, I also want a, a, a bite of the cherry. Yes, I'm being paid my salary. But I, I mean, I know there's an opportunity for me to own a stake in this company as a shareholder, such that as I'm working, I'm earning my salary, but I'm also earning as a shareholder as a result of the hard work that I'm also putting in, coupled with all the other staff members. So yes, I think that's why you see significant increase in, in insider ownership for United Capital, because we see the prospects in the business, we see the strategies we are putting in place, and we're on a very strong and aggressive good fit um, right now. And I think that, has what, that is what has informed that strong insider ownership. And like you said, it is good signal that things may be looking very bright for, for a particular company going forward if they have significant increase in Thank you very, very much, sir. Um, just just for disclosure, United Capital is also my own, is the largest, um, my largest holding in my portfolio at the minute. So uh, kudos, kudos. Thank you very much to the entire team. Um, just before I let you go, sir, any last words, anything you just want to leave with um, retail investors, um, just take home messages. Thank you, sir. Okay, um, I think I think last words basically would be um, because I I have had experiences with different investors where they they sort of regret taking certain investment decisions and all, and by the time we sit and try to walk through what went wrong, you discover that in the end they really did not they really did not take that investment decision on sound basis, right? So I think my last my last word would be please, as with an investor, ensure you. Ensure you consider every single decision. It's better to it's better to miss out than to jump in into something you are not sure of and then get burnt in the end, right? So please, as we say, invest. Do everything possible to understand what you are investing in. It will go a long way in minimizing your risk. You know, Warren Buffett would say, yes, sometimes it will make you lose out on something, and and in some cases you would you would you would really feel bad that oh you missed out on this because we're trying to be as careful as possible to consider all the different factors. But in the long run, trust me, it's a strategy that will work best for you. You know, please try and consider every information available before you take a particular investment decision. Number two, be sure, be clear on why you want to invest because this is typically a very big problem. You know, a lot of investors, you know, you just many investors just put money and say, oh, they want to buy this stuff, but they really don't have a purpose or a goal on why they are making those investments, right? Have a goal for your portfolio. Make sure your portfolio is tied to a particular goal. Are you are you investing for future wealth creation? Are you investing in order to raise or raise money to start a new business? Are you investing, you know, in order to be able to fund an education program or or professional certification in the future or something like that? You know, ensure that your your investments are 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 goals based 
and you have a reason why you're making those investments because it will help you define the kind of risk you can take and then it will help you define your target return because trust me, you would not define the bottom of the market and you will not find the peak of the market. You will always be somewhere in between, right? So as much as possible, you must be able to know what kind of return you want to make and what kind of risk you want to take. And the only way you can know your return and risk preference is by knowing why you want to invest or why you are making that particular investment. So I think those are the last words I will leave for investors. Please, as much as possible, encourage other investors, other um, Nigerians and even foreigners to participate in the Nigerian equities market. Trust me, the market is no longer what it was in 2007, 2008, 2009. There's a lot of corporate governance in place. Um, companies are now more on their toes. We, we don't expect to see the kind of bad situations where we saw lots of companies declaring false numbers, fake or fake numbers, you know, where they were in serious, in bad positions, and yet they were announcing to the public that they were making profits and things like that. There is more, there's better corporate governance framework in there. Um, we have more knowledge in the market, more information is available in the public. There's more knowledge out there to guide your investment decision. So, as for investors who have been shying away from the equities market because of their past experiences, trust me, things are in a much better place now. And I, and I would admonish, you know, try to spread that gospel so that we're able to increase participation in the Nigerian equities market and we're able to compete globally with other um, developed capital markets of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. We are doing a bit and uh, I hope the retail investors listening to this would be encouraged to invest more, invite their friends, invite their family to come and enjoy the largest that is present in the Nigerian capital market. It's been lovely having you on the show and hopefully I look forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future. Um, the, your insight and knowledge is a, is a treasure trove that we would just want to keep you know, learning from each day and time. Um, I'm always I'm always happy when it comes to investor education. Um, it's something I'm always I'm very passionate about. Whenever you need me to come on the show, just let me know. Um, I have time and I'll do my best to make myself available. Problem, sir. Thank you very much. Sir.